0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As spiritual seekers, we often receive guidance on which path to follow. This might be necessary for some time, but as we move along, we need to trust our heart and become our own guide. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us, a place where we can listen to everyone's heart. Your companion on the journey is Giel Asselin. Come join us now on this path of inner exploration. Here is your host, Giel Asselin.
1: Yes, uh, good afternoon or good evening, I'll you. Uh, very good evening, Victor. It's wonderful yeah. to be it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Well, thank you
2: for the honor of inviting me and love and blessings from the source to you and to everybody who's listening.
1: Thank you very much. The same back to you and um, many thanks for being available. I know it's pretty late where you are, so I'm very grateful for, for you to come up on, on the show and to um, open up maybe a new, a new page um, open up our hearts as well. So, uh, again, thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Uh, thank you. I, it's, I'm very much looking forward to this. And as you know, everybody that's listening is part of this as well. So Yes, yeah. that's
1: right. It's a, it's a community of, of beings, of souls. And we're going to be here for at least a couple of shows, if not three shows. So we, we, we have time to quality time to spend together. Thank you. So, so I wanted instead of i trying to give you uh, some very standard questions about um, uh, identi- identifying yourself or introducing yourself. I came, ac- I came across a very nice quote this morning from Thomas Merton. Uh, and he said, uh, if you want to identify me, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I'm living for in detail. Ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing I want to live for. So, so may I ask you, what is it that you're living for?
2: Uh, it's, it's a very be- beautiful poem, and I know Thomas Merton very well. One of my good friends, a Jesuit priest, uh, loved exactly that same quotation. So I wrote you a poem in return, Victor, and it goes like this. Don't ask me my name. Ask me what I've given back in the name of love. Don't ask me my age. Ask me the depth of my experience. Don't ask me what I've done. Ask me how I've come to understand myself. Wisdom is to be found not in adding on and piling up of what I've done, but in letting go and surrendering all that I have so that life can fill my empty cup with the riches of this existence. So thank you, Victor, and thank you, Thomas Merton, because that really touches my heart and it touches the essence of what we're about here, which is unity consciousness, and also touching the depths of our experience together. So everybody listening has an experience like that. Everybody has given back something in the name of love to somebody that they love. Everybody has had a deep experience within themselves. Everybody is trying to understand themselves better. And they're finding after they add relationships, money, all the things that this material existence gives them, that that doesn't answer what they're looking for. And so they start to peel off and let go. And surrender like shedding a skin and once they start to shed that skin they get closer to emptying their cup and they find out like I found out like you found out like we all find out that when your cup is empty then the richness that is this life that is this existence can pour in and it does and it pours in like a treasure
1: So, so we have to create space in our lives.
2: Exactly. I think the, our modern society is so consumed by doing, and that's very much what advertising and television and politics and from… Consumption. Every, every aspect of life tells us that we have to add on and do and pile up. So we're concerned more with doing than being. And once we find out what it's like to actually be, then something simple happens. So, for example, just before the show, I live near uh, one of Japan's 100 most sacred shrines. So I went down there and I sat. There is an island in the middle of a lake. And in that shrine is a very old shrine to the goddess Ben Zaiten, who's also known as Saraswati in India. And I sat there alone underneath the stars with not a sound, well, not a sound of a human being, many, many sounds of frogs, <laughs> sure. and bullfrogs, and the lakes full of snapping turtles. So they were swimming and diving. It, it's, it's quite uh, an ecstatic and blissful experience to be totally alone and to ask yourself exactly that question. Who am I and what have I given back and how have I loved? So, that was the kind of experience that I'm talking about. That sometimes the depth of experience can be found out when you're alone, out in nature, when there's nothing else, there's everything stripped away, your soul is bare, and you're left naked. That is a real experience of life, because then the only thing that's there is your empty heart, or full heart, as the case may be. And if it's empty, then everything around you, the energy that's around you, fills it up. It fills it up with such beauty. And if your heart is full, then you have that beauty to absorb, and you share that existence, you share that feeling, you share that unity with everything that's around you. So when you can take that experience, the experience of being alone in nature and sharing, what Mother Earth has got to give t- to us, when you can share that with fellow human beings, when you no longer feel a separation, when you're out there on your train or your bus or your taxi or walking on the sidewalk and you feel that deep divine friendship with every single other human being, then you know that you've reached a depth in your experience.
1: That's what you call unity consciousness, no? is that- it?
2: That's what I call unity consciousness. Yes, the the unity of actually not just thinking that you are one and connected with all these people around you, but when you actually literally realize it as an experience, when your very cells, when every part of your heart, when the little sparks and neurons that are triggering in your brain cells actually are all acting as one and connecting with the people and energy around you, then something quite different happens. There's quite a different consciousness. There's a different awareness. And at that point, you're willing to surrender the shoes on your feet to somebody who needs them. You're willing to give money to help somebody who is desperate. You're willing to help a struggling animal to get back on its feet. You're willing to take that animal home and nurture it until... It reaches a point where it can fly out again into the world. So I think those are really, really simple things. That if you can ask that question, am, am I willing to be of service to my fellow human beings a- in every instance, then you're really touching on a point of, of true love, of very deep divine love for people.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree with you, yes
2: so i I certainly think that in this this current existence, in this era that we're in, there is an, a new way that people are realizing. We look around at our world and we see a lot of fragmentation, we see a lot of divisions. We still see war, we, we don't yeah. seem to have solved it, war, our warlike tendencies. So we're asking ourselves. Where, where is the love and the light? Where is the harmony and unity that we read about, that, that's been in our philosophies and our ancient teachings for thousands of years? And it is inside us. It's in the least of us and the greatest of us. And I think that's why this is a dialogue that you and I are having, that we're sharing with every other person listening to this. Because every single person wants that. Every soul that lives on this planet, Wants to be in harmony.
1: At a so, c- conscious or not so conscious level, yes. Mm. Yeah.
2: So I think that that is what this is about a shared consciousness, a shared heart, a love that enlightens and delights and fills us and uplifts us. So that's what we're doing on this show. And it may be that there are people out there right now listening, and just because of what we're sharing, their heart will also be triggered in the same way that you touch me and I touch you, and something miraculous will happen. They may do the smallest possible act of kindness to somebody who just never expects it, and something miraculous will happen to that person that they gave that gift to without them ever knowing. Um, Some years ago I was in San Francisco And I came out of one of the organic health food shops and there was a young girl uh, lying in the gutter weeping and nobody was going up to her. So I walked up to her and asked her what was wrong. And she couldn't speak. She was obviously too upset by whatever had happened. Uh, And as she spoke to me about her life, I realized, of course, that she was homeless and she had nothing. Uh, Her clothes Mm -hmm. were ripped and her shoes were extremely old and I had two armfuls of the best food that money could buy in America as far as organic food was going so I said to her why don't you take this and she looked up to me and then the next moment she stood up and she was stock still she stared at me as if I was an apparition, and and then I, I, and then I felt what she felt as well because behind me on my left shoulder was an angel, most beautiful angel. In fact, the most beautiful f- essence of light that I have seen to this day. And she said exactly that. She said, "There's an angel. There's an angel behind you." And she was crying even harder by this stage because the angel was very bright, and I could feel and. It's, it's just it's so hard to put into words. I could feel this essence of love ra- wrapping us both in that moment. And so <laughs> I gave her the groceries, and I said, well, please, please take these. And she still couldn't stop crying, and she sat down on the table, and she looked at me, and by this stage I could feel that presence of light going. And she said to me, you, you truly are an angel. And I said, well, I've just got extra special help today, obviously. And she took the groceries and she went home. I have no idea what she did with them. But it was that one small tiny act. It was that one small event that it touched my heart. I still can remember her as vividly today as I did those years ago when I first saw her. And who knows what's happened to her, but I feel deep in my heart that something triggered a completely different path in her life because of that moment. I'm, I'm sure she nor I saw an angel like that every day. So it was a very blessed experience, very mm. blessed.
1: I think you gave her hope. I think maybe she was missing hope, no?
2: Exactly, yes. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, the simple gift of hope to mm-hmm. any person is enough to turn and change their life so significantly. And I think that's one simple way everybody can reach out. Quite often people say, but what can I do? Because they feel they have to give somebody a spiritual teaching or they have to give them a, a, an abundance of cash. But in fact, the simple gift of hope is one uh, we, we all have that blessing to offer to somebody else. And I think that, that is a really remarkable act that anybody can give another person.
1: yeah and it 's something so simple
2: it is I think when you come down to life and existence sim- simplicity really is the essence. Simplicity is what takes us home, brings us home if it If it gets too complex and you have to think too much about it, then obviously it 's not touching your heart it 's not touching you deeply. Uh, a number of things that have happened to me over my life that have been extremely simple and yet have changed my life considerably for the better were often in the most insignificant or uh, you could say from my part, fairly unsuspecting places where I was just living quite normally and then something extraordinary happened. Um, when I was in India, I taught on a Krishnamurti school uh, in the mid-80s and I just, again, by A blessing from another teacher was there I arrived I was very interested in working for schools all over India because I wanted to experience the the life of the people there and when I reached Varanasi I went to see the uh, principal of the Krishnamurti school and he said well you're lucky Um, teacher is just left you can take up the position you can have it for three months maybe six months so there's there's my very simple experience which leads up to something extraordinary so I said sure I'd love to do that and he walked me into the middle of the school and there were a group of boys playing cricket And they hit the ball for a six, and you can guess where it landed. It actually hit me on the nose, which (laughs) I nearly broke my nose from that cricket ball. But, however, it made me good friends with the boys because they figured I was okay. They found out (laughs) I was from New Zealand. New Zealand has a very famous cricketer called Richard Hadley. So they said, oh, sir, do you know Richard Hadley? And, of course, I did. So (laughs) I... (laughs) Uh, that made me good friends. They, the school immediately thought I, I could teach them English, drama, and music—Western music, that is, because they were very good at Indian music. So there I was in a really quite uh, very simple and very happy uh, experience on a school in India, teaching essentially the arts, and language, drama, and music, and on that. This, the particular day this happened, I was having a tough day because it was very hot. Now, you've probably heard in India at the moment, there is a heat wave. And yes. I think something like 500 people at the moment are, are dead but through heat, heat exhaustion. And I realized, yeah, 48 degrees. So I, when I was there, it was 45 degrees in the open, and it hit 50 degrees one day. And that was quite, I remember getting on a bus, opening the window, and it was so hot it burnt my face. So that gives you an idea of the kind of heat that they were having even back then. So I was having a tough day. It had been extremely hot. It was a thundery, lightning-strewn day. It was in July back then, and the monsoon had come, so it was very stormy and windy. And the last thing I ever thought, I was in Krishnamurti's own house. I had a a young family that looked after me. Basically, my 20 US dollars per week provided them with their livelihood. At first, I really didn't want to have a servant. That's not really a New Zealander's style. But they said, you are going to give life to this family. So I thought, fair enough. And we, we had a great connection for that three months that I was a teacher there. They really looked after me. So it was a very simple house. It was in the middle of a school in a um, protected wildlife reserve. So the last thing that I ever thought that I'd hear in the middle of the night, it was about 2 a.m., was a knock on the door. However, I shouldn't have been surprised because Ever since I was a child I've had knocks like this knocks on my head knocks in my consciousness to remind me about how important it was to sit up and pay attention to life because life was going to give me something a little unusual. Uh I had some extraordinary dreams when I was a young boy that led me into exploring the spiritual life. However in this so what happened in this story was that here I was way out in the middle of this wildlife reserve in a little house with a servant and the family and there was a knock on the door at 2 a.m. So I lurched out of bed because I thought at first that it must be some kind of emergency. The school itself was fairly old so I thought maybe in the gale force winds we were experiencing, it might have something might have blown over or something caught on fire. Instead, there, standing on the doorstep, was a woman with pure ash blonde hair, bright blazing blue eyes in the ochre orange robes of a sannyasi. Now, that's if you know anything about India, that's quite an unusual sight. And She just said, I've been looking for you for a long time. I was somewhat speechless at that point. I did know what she was because a sannyasi is somebody who in their last stage of life, has given up and renounced all their worldly and material pleasures. And she had obviously taken up pursuing a spiritual life. But she was very young, extremely pure skin. And she said, I have a message for you from the gods. She spoke in a very unusual accent. I actually thought she was German, but it wasn't German. (laughs) Uh, and she held out her hands so you can imagine the the winds are pour, pour or the winds and the rain are pouring and the door the doors are way, wide open uh, and she said this scroll is for you and she held out a scroll uh, an ancient, ancient parchment which i accepted with an open mouth I mean, there's not much else you do at 2 a.m. in the morning when you agreed with a sight like that, except you stand speechless and you open your mouth and you try to say something, but nothing quite comes out. And then she went on, she said, you've had previous incarnations in India, and the one I'm about to speak to you of is your life as a Raj in a minor kingdom in the north in the 16th century. You had three wives, you loved peacocks, you adored music, you worshipped the goddess Saraswati, The goddess Saraswati will look after you your entire lifetime. She is the Hindu goddess of knowledge, music, arts and science. That is your purpose this lifetime. Go and fulfill it. And then she went out and she shut the door and headed in the wind and rain. And I went to the door. It must have been just a matter of a couple of seconds. Opened the door and rushed after where I thought she would have gone because there was only one path and it went out to a locked gate but when I opened the door, she was nowhere to be seen. So that, that was how something very simple in life led to something quite extraordinary. And again, I feel so blessed. Those things have happened to me all through my life. I, I've told that story to Indian people and they just chuckle and they say, we have lots of friends who love the goddess Saraswati and that's never happened to them. So <laughs> I, I do consider myself very, very blessed and privileged. And obviously Saraswati, because she's right next door in the sacred shrine that I went to earlier this evening, uh, she is looking after me even to today. So I do encourage everybody who is listening, there is someone, there is a goddess, a god, an entity, a being of light that is protecting and loving you and when you find that great being, when you find that part in your heart that has that connection with that being, that essence of light, and it's very often very simple. It'll be something you've known deep in your deep inside yourself from perhaps childhood. You'll have felt that connection. And then something, something will trigger it. It could be what myself and Victor are saying to you. It could be something as simple as You stop listening to this program and you go out and suddenly you'll have a memory. Something will trigger your ancient memory, your memory that connects you to divinity. When you get that trigger, when you get that little flash, don't ignore it. Follow whatever it takes. Follow it your entire life if needs be. But don't miss it because it's there for a reason. And just by connecting in with us this evening – both Victor and myself are already connecting you with that purpose, not only with, that per- with your purpose, but with the deity or divinity or whatever it is that your soul connects with that is protecting you and guiding you. And I think it's crucial in this life to find your connections, to find your connections to divinity to the goddess, to God, to whatever name you want to call it, to love and light, to the path of unity that is going to, to connect divine, yeah. to the divine.
1: Thank you very much for sharing your story, Altair. I think it's really the, the divine coming into your life with a, a very powerful message. Uh, I think it's a good time to take a break and we'll, uh, we'll be back shortly after that.
3: Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Are you just getting started on the path to metaphysical healing of yourself? Would you like to have some fun as you find out more? Join Julia Stuby and Carol Lee Schloth each week as they guide you through the energetic toy box. This show will gift you the basic foundation and tools as you discover your spiritual path on a deeper level, encouraging the exploration of many facets and concepts such as chakras, healing, meditation crystals, and more so that you can use these in your daily life. The Energetic Toy Box is here for you every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The bottom line in business talk.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at T R N. You are listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Geel Asselin. To reach the program, call in to one 472 5795 That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program.
1: Again, thank you very much, Altair, for sharing your story of what happened to you in India. I think it was a while back.
2: It was. Thank you, Victor.
1: Yes. Would you be able, I know know you have plenty of spiritual stories along the path. Um, Would you be able to share with us in the time that is left another story that really got you going in a sense, got you walking on the path?
2: Sure, sure. I, I think everybody's path is different, but it leads to exactly the same light. Every single soul on this planet is walking towards the same sun and they all reach it by different paths up the mountain. I think a lot of people understand that and realize that. So again, coming back to everybody that's listening, when you hear this next story, I want you to connect to something in your life that actually triggered you onto the path, Because there is something that leads you there. There is something significant. It could be a person. It could be just a connection with a place. It could be that some very tiny miracle happened, or it may be something as simple as what Victor was saying earlier, hope. Some connection with hope that takes you, takes you onto the path, takes you a little higher on that mountain, takes you a little further down the path. So in my case... I had a very special meeting with a friend of mine. He was a ufologist, so he had a great interest in UFOs that came from a personal experience that I'll relate to you, and then I'll tell you how this ended my life and what happened. Um, Some time ago, I, in fact, some time ago, from when I was around five years old, I took an interest in amateur astronomy because I had always wanted to travel on a starship one way out of the solar system. I, I wrote to NASA at the age of five years asking them if I could be on the first starship, not realizing at that point that there wasn't such a thing. However, as some of you may know now, there is a project called 100-Year Starship, which is jointly funded by NASA and the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And this is a a project that is designed specifically to create a a starship for future travel. And it's looking at all the aspects of what building a starship and what meeting an advanced species in this universe would mean. So, when you first come across UFOs, of course, people think of flying saucers. They think of all the movies that they've seen, all the aspects of extraterrestrials that seems to flood our uh, Hollywood uh, finances. And I, I have to say that a lot of them are way off the mark. But you could understand, I suppose, being here on Earth, when you look at an advanced Techno- technological civilization, and ATC, which is what NASA calls it, that there would be a certain amount of fear if you viewed it in the same way as Columbus ca- coming to America and then the kind of resulting turmoil that happened for the Native American Indians in, in America. It wasn't too good for them. So it would be the same way as uh, an advanced technological civilization visiting us, that's what would enter most people's minds and hearts is fear. However, in my experience, it wasn't like that at all, and this is what happened. Um, I was in New Zealand at the time. I'm a M- Maori by descent, and my lineage goes back to the kahunas of Hawaii. So I'd been introduced a long time before to the nature of the stars and their wonder, and also to the connections with the stars, in particular to the Pleiades, which is called Matariki in Māori, and the Pleiades is a very significant star group in terms of planting and harvest. So my family, my family's name is Taki in Māori, and they were on the very first boats from Hawaii to New Zealand in about 900 AD. So I was actually in an area that is sacred to the Maori people, a place called Sumner Beach in Christchurch, New Zealand, and I was there with a friend, Steve Ordain, from Boise, Idaho. Now, I'd been very interested in what's called the WOW signal. It's notated as 6EQUJ5. If you look up the WOW signal on Google, you'll find a ton of information about it. And at that time, it, it was considered the only signal that was a real signal uh, discovered through the SETI systems, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, back some years ago. And I'd spent hours scanning the night skies with telescopes, and I'd looked at lots of star clusters, trying to work out where would be the greatest opportunity for evolution Because as Stephen Hawking says, the chances of alien life is not just plausible, it's realistic with 100 billion uh, stars existing in just our universe. So we've got an, an extraordinary potential for what we call alien life. So in this case, it was in November, I was in the southern hemisphere, and the Pleiades, which is also called M45, as those of you who are astronomers will know, We were gazing directly upward uh, in the direction of that. We were standing on the beach. And we had been walking up and down the beach for some time, and my friend, Steve, claimed to have been visited by aliens when he was in his beach house in Bethel's Beach in New Zealand which cast a blue light over his dwelling for three days and forced his brain to accept vast downloads of alien information. Now, this may sound a very, very wide claim to make, but when you hear what happened, you'll see it's not so far-fetched. There were many UFO sightings, in fact, in New Zealand, and this one in 1991 that I experienced was actually documented in newspaper and television And we even had uh, U.S. Air Force jets come and visit and scientists put up notices for reward all over the village where I lived. And uh, that information subsequently was suppressed and you can't get hold of it in in any form. I still have the newspaper clippings and the video clips, so I'm holding on to those for dear life. (laughs) Anyway, the aliens that visited Steve... uh, uh, so rather than call them aliens, that was certainly what people called them at the time, but they were actually his star family, and they were my star family too. They are not foreigners. They are part of our existence. And when people say to me, but but isn't this strange? How, how can you justify a star family? But when you look at the fact that r- right at this moment you have the uh, large hadron collider and – Switzerland and France, about to start up and explore the higher realms or other dimensions, notably 26 of them that science has discovered through superstring theory, you start to realise that a lot of the information we are given publicly is not given in very simple terms as we have spoken previously. It's given in very complicated terms and, in fact, other dimensions do exist Other planets with life on do exist. In fact, if you search, anybody who's listening searches diamond-covered planet, you will note that there is a planet in the constellation of Cancer by the name of 55 Cancri e, and it is a diamond-covered planet. And Forbes, I think, valued it at $26.9 million. So that's like put 30 zeros after it and you'll get something approximately what it's valued at. The, The extraordinary miracles in our universe exist and are only just being discovered. We are right, right in the very early days. You could say we are right back at the very beginning compared to many civilizations out there. So what they told my friend is that the human being is wired as a transmitter and a receiver for universal information, and that given the right knowledge, we can actually connect and communicate with both craft and with our family, with our home family. Now, when you think of today's technology, I mean, everybody who is listening will not be surprised when I say, you find it very easy to pick up a phone, a mobile phone that you carry around with you, and call your mother or your father living in a different country there 's absolutely no problems doing that now when you can uh, consider that there are so many galaxies and stars, a hundred billion galaxies just in our universe, with hundreds of millions of stars in every galaxy, then you can you, you can possibly consider that Communication, if you knew how to communicate with some of those stars, that you may be able to contact and connect with your own home, your own family. Now, what the craft and the visitors told my friend Steve was that through two crystals in the brain located in the third eye area, That and the powerful energy generator at the base of the spine. And this has been talked about for generations and thousands of years through all the ancient traditions. It doesn't matter which one you look at, the idea of an astral spine exists. Now, just for those of you that are listening that may not be familiar with an astral spine, I'm going to just help you to visualize it. So when you sit still... And you just quietly, quietly and gently bring your attention to the breath. Imagine the breath just rising and falling. That's the easiest thing you can do. Just imagine it rising and falling. So as you breathe in, just let the breath rise. And as you breathe out, let it fall. As you breathe in and out. Imagine that you can breathe light. Just imagine light moving into your being, moving into your soul, into your heart, on the inward breath and on the outward breath. You breathe out light. Make it really simple. Everything is very simple because this is part of your inner wisdom. This is already encoded in your DNA. It's already wisdom that exists in your brain and heart. So as you're breathing with me and we're doing this together and we're sharing this because this is unity consciousness. This is your heart and my heart that we share. This is Victor's heart and my heart and your heart that we share. So we're breathing gently, breathing in the light, breathing out the light. So start that rhythm gently. First, feel it in your nostrils. So feel it as a breath, as a physical breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in, and uh, it's good. You're doing very well. You can feel yourself going deeper now, deeper and deeper, deeper and more connected. And as you do so, imagine that your spine is like a hollow tube of light. Imagine that that spine. That hollow tube goes all the way from the base of the spine all the way up to the third eye. So now, as you continue that breath, that gentle breath, that gentle breath of your heart, of your higher heart, of our shared heart, together, you're breathing in your spine, up to the third eye, and as you breathe out, you're breathing all the way down to the base of the spine. We're doing this together. My breath and your breath, your breath and my breath. Breathing in to the third eye. And as you breathe out, breathe all the way down to the base of the spine. As you breathe in, you breathe all the way up to the third eye area. And as you breathe out, you breathe all the way down to the base of the spine. You might feel energy start to move at the base of the spine as we're doing this. You may see a light in the third eye area. You may feel energy or a nervous tickling start to awaken your spine or your back. You may feel an itchiness in some part of your body. All of that is totally perfect. What we're doing is sharing together a very gentle, gentle breath. This is such a tender, gentle breath because, in fact, you're breathing love And you're breathing love up to the third eye area in the hollow tube of your spine. And you're breathing love all the way back down to the base of the spine. As you breathe up, go deeper now. Breathe the love deep in your spine all the way to the third eye. And as you breathe out, breathe all the way back down, down to the base of the spine. Do that again one more time. Breathe all the way up to the third eye area. And as you breathe out, this time breathe all the way down through the astral tube, the astral spine, all the way down to the base of the spine. Then continue down and connect right down through and into the earth, into Mother Gaia, down into her core. Really embed your soul and your heart right down in her core. And then breathe out. We're going to do this three more times. Breathe all the way up to the third eye area. Then as you breathe out, breathe all the way down. Just a simple breath. So gentle, so tender, so pure. All the way down. Right down to the base of the spine. Then down and through and into the core of the earth. Then breathe up. Let's make this the last time. All the way up to the third eye. And then as you breathe out, you breathe all the way back down to the base of the spine. All the way down and then down through to the core of the earth, to the core of our mother's heart, right through, anchoring yourself to the core of her heart because we are connected in every possible way to our mother, Mother Earth, and she cares for you just as you care for her every step of the way. So gently open your eyes, and what you'll be aware of now is something's changed there is a different presence. There is a different light in your heart, in my heart, in Victor's heart that we all share. It's softer, it's radiant, it's connected, it's shared, and it's very, very much part of Mother Gaia and this earth that we belong to. So that's what the Star Family told my friend Steve that we are connected not just with the earth, but there is also a way to connect to our star family and to the stars. And what they taught him was they taught him a system using energy and frequencies and light and color that allowed him and myself to connect with a system of energy that exists in our solar system that connects our entire solar system to every star system. Now, when you think about this, this is not that much different than the Internet and the networks that we're setting up here on Earth. And, in fact, that's a very good analogy. Imagine our solar system is like a central hub of just a universal internet system that we are all able to connect into just as easily as you use your mobile phones. So it was this particular night, it was a Saturday, in November 1991 on Sumner Beach in Christchurch in New Zealand. And we were practicing these energy ex- exercises for about five minutes together. And we knew that these e- energy exercises were designed to connect with our home, with our staff family. We knew that as just as sure as you know when you pick up your mobile phone and you call your father or your mother or your best friend that you're going to connect. Suddenly above our heads appeared a satellite and it headed from south to north across the sky. It looked like a satellite, but when it reached a point exactly above our heads, it stopped. It stopped. It stopped. Satellites do not stop midway through their trajectory. And then it suddenly began descending towards us. We could see it clearly. It came right down over the house where I lived. I lived in a beachfront house in New Zealand. It was transparent, about twice the size of a jumbo jet with a massive engine at the rear, and it had clear... Absolutely transparent, so it enabled me to see the stars through it. And it had three flashing lights, one at the nose and two on either wingtip. It lied right down over my house. And if any of you search the internet and look up the Belgian black triangle, which was seen by citizens of Brussels in, uh, in 1990, 1991, it looks very similar to that. I was absolutely stunned. Not because I saw it, but because I was very aware that we had called it. And that craft, when it came right so you can imagine, just visualize, here you are standing right where you are now, and imagine just overhead is a massive craft double the size of a jumbo jet. It was extraordinary. It flashed at us three times and then it sped off at enormous speed to the north it disappeared over the hills to a place called littleton now this incident was reported by 21 people in total not by myself or my friend because my friend explained that it was going to be the information was going to be suppressed it sped off at enormous speed and it was reported not only by the 21 people but also by a group of four boys who happened to be sleeping on the roof of their house They appeared on national television, and they all described the same craft, including a weird kind of whooshing noise it made. The the speed it it took off with was extraordinary. To this day, I've never, ever seen anything move like that craft move. They described it with completely identical accuracy. The newspaper reports were in the Christchurch Star and the Christchurch Press, and the following week, on a Wednesday, the U.S. Air Force flew in two jets and a group of scientists. And notices went up all over some of the town. Five hundred dollars U.S. <laughs> dollars—that's a little bit more than New Zealand dollars—for uh, information leading to identification of the craft. I've never ever submitted any information. And that—that that was something that really turned my life around. And as I will share with you in subsequent shows, it set off a series of remarkable incidents, quite simple incidents, but amazing, miraculous experiences that you are going to experience yourself just by listening to this show and just by starting to understand that you are not alone, that we share this existence together, that we share love and we share this heart, this shared heart we call humanity, has a shared experience. Just by understanding that, you are going to tune in with what Victor and I are sharing, and you too are going to experience what your soul wants to experience in its own way. So, Victor, that was a truly joyful and truly amazing experience. And I really wanted to thank you for the opportunity to share that on your show. Your show is amazing. Everything that I've listened to, you are a master of wisdom, a beautiful person, and the son of mighty victory.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I look forward I'm, I'm getting I didn't know your story so obviously I listened to it and um, I'm looking forward to learning more about what changed or shifted in your life after that episode it's interesting you called it incident I, mean, I don't know the meaning of an incident but I, I, I would rather see it as an episode like a, a starting it, point in a sense
2: that's right it's like an episode in a story You've, you're yeah. quite correct that's why I mm-hmm. call you the master of wisdom so mm-hmm. I'm I'm here to share and so are you. And thank you for enlightening me on every little incident or episode in my life.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's more like, a, yeah, that's not the feeling I got when you mentioned the word incidents. It's not, to me, it's not like an incident. It's like more like a, a sparkle of something and that yes. got God thing going. And I'm sure you have much more to share that, uh, that we don't know about, but we are looking forward to it. So,
2: But I do, do encourage everybody who's listening Anybody who wants to get in contact with either your star family or a light being or a guide or something that is going to take your life and give it meaning and sparkle and an episode, please tune in to this show and also please send your ideas or questions or your experiences to Victor. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think there's a, an email that goes out. I mean, in the announcement, so people know which uh, which email to use. So I think it's seeking at nurturingthegift.org. So thank you very much, Altair. We look forward to having you on the on the air also next week. And um, I wish all of you a blessed week.
2: Yes, thank you, thank you, Victor. So love and blessings from the source, from me, Altair. I love you all, and thank you so much for this honor.
1: Thank you very much. Goodbye.
0: Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giel Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again.
3: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio.